everybody wants to know, they're all waiting with bated breath. What are you gonna go see first? Are you gonna see Barbie or are you gonna go see Oppenheimer? You know, it's the question on everyone's mm. lips. In the event that that happens, which I'm not saying it will, but I'm not saying it won't. <laughs> Let's say, hypothetically. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that I'm of, I'm of the mind that I personally would want to see Oppenheimer first. Mm, mm. Walk me through it. What's the mentality here? It's the kind of mentality of eat your vegetables before you get to the good part. Now, that's going to... That sounds like I don't like Christopher Nolan. That's not true. I do. Right. And this... I mean, hey... Who knows? This movie has certainly been getting some big, big uh, praise out of the gate before it hits general audiences. But I just feel like I need to be in this in this scenario where I'm going to see both movies. I would have to be aware of the fact that I have ADHD. And so it's hard for me to sit and watch a normal movie uh, that's not, you know, two and a half hours about you know, either either way, I think the Barbie one's quite long too. So I feel like I yeah, yeah. would I I would need Oppenheimer's to, three hours. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> right. So I think I would need to psych myself up and like commit yeah. to the three hours of Oppenheimer, and then Barbie, at least from the trailers, the promotional material feels like it's a bit more of a lighter time. So it will be a bit easier mm. to keep my attention. So I want to mm, mm. go into Oppenheimer fresher. What about what right. about you? What's your what's your strat? Yeah, so uh, we're actually on the same wavelength. Now, for me, there's no hypothetical involved. The tickets are booked, Will. So we're ah. doing a 2 p.m. start for Oppenheimer, mm -hmm. right? I'm thinking with trailers and everything else, the IMAX intro, uh, we're getting out of there around 5.30, okay? Yep, yeah. Uh, 5.30, hitting Eastside Mario's in Bears Lake. Uh, <laughs> gotta, you know, carb up. Get ready, uh, because you're already miss you're already missing your hometown of Italy. You've got to have a taste exactly, of it here. Exactly. I need unlimited breadsticks and salad uh, as fuel to keep me going, because this is a work day's worth of cinema <laughs> yes, true. Um, that I'm embarking on. So yeah, we're gonna start with Oppenheimer, and also I have a sneaking suspicion um, that Oppenheimer is a little bit of a bummer. Mm. Uh, something mm, tells yeah, me, yeah. I don't know why, but something tells me that I, I bet it doesn't really necessarily end on the, you know, the happiest note. Um, so I feel like it's better to, you know, start with that. And then the finish line is Barbie because, you know, after sitting for three hours for Oppenheimer, I feel like you really need a second wind. Uh, and I think, yeah, Barbie's a little bit brighter, uh, probably a little bit positive, lighter, uh, all those sorts of things. It's kind of the mentality behind everybody doing this as a double feature. I think it's, it's kind of ingenious. I was talking to someone about this the other day. I hope that uh, you know, movie studios take note of the success of the Barbieheimer phenomena mm. uh, due to the fact that I, I think the movies were designed to be counter-programming for one another. You know what I mean? Yes, yeah. All those white guys were going to go to Oppenheimer and everybody else was going to go see Barbie or whatever. And instead, it turns out that everybody was really excited to see two giant movies that weren't superhero movies on the same day uh, that couldn't be more different. Um, so I hope that the, this is the sign of things to come. Um, but yeah, so we're going to finish off with Barbie, uh, after dining at Eastside Mario's going to go to the 640 showing. Uh, and that's, that's the plan. All right. Sounds like a good plan. I mean, uh, okay. We, t we talked about this. We talked about this before recently on the show and much more in depth in the Elwood city limits discord, just out of my own personal curiosity, you've got, yeah. you've got two, you got two big movie showings. You're going to dinner. Maybe you're getting snacks. This is this is this is running you up a tab, isn't it? I mean, the, the IMAX. Okay, so, and uh, you're going seeing, to an IMAX showing too. Yeah, so so we're seeing Oppenheimer and IMAX, so that's going to be expensive. Um, mm -hmm. it's, now, keep in mind, Will, I do not buy snacks at the movie theater. That's, that's first good. And that's foremost, good. Okay, good. That's where they make their money. Okay, I'm no sucker. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're going to Eastside Mario, so you know. I'm going to shove as many unlimited breadsticks into my tote bag as I could conceivably fit. I'm nodding. I'm nodding. Scene. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Um, but yeah, the IMAX one is, is really going to be doing damage. Like that's like, I think it's like 25 bucks or something crazy, um, for, for the IMAX. Oh the Barbie's God. showing less so. The Barbie's like, I think it's like 12 bucks for the ticket. Yeah. Um, which had I be seeing it on cheap night, you know, if I was doing this on a Tuesday, but you know, Tuesday's our day will, and there's nothing that can get between <laughs> me and you and Ellen City Limits. Well, and all- but hey, this is, this is my whole weekend edit. You know what? It's an event, Will. I wouldn't be doing this for any old movie off the block. You know, Barbie Heimer Femur, it, it's it's sweeping the nation. Um, I gotta and I gotta I gotta do it week one, or else I'm gonna get behind on all the takes, Will. I need to be able to do takes and be part of the discourse. True that, and I'm sure there's many who who are listening right now who are going to be uh, either well, depending on when you're listening, are going to Barbenheimer or will be coming back from Barbenheimer or maybe just seeing a late Barbenheimer, no matter what uh, what way it is you're going to be taking in these two movies. Thanks for joining us for Elwood City Limits, the episodic Arthur podcast. Will Young here with Lucas Mancini. And while we're at it, I mean, you talked about having the takes about Barbie and Oppenheimer. Neither you nor I are, you know, accredited or published film critics. We just have our own letterbox. We like to say... Say some stuff on Twitter. But I do think it is worth saying, as we did a few weeks ago for when the WGA, the Writers Guild of America, went on strike, which, of course, tangentially relates back to Arthur and that many uh, American writers, North American writers, uh, wrote this show that we're talking about. Perhaps just as important is that SAG-AFTRA are currently on strike, the Screen Actors Guild, um, which means that... It again, tangentially back to Arthur, many actors, many great voice actors uh, had to uh, uh, provide the voices of the characters we love. And so we stand in solidarity with the WGA and SAG-AFTRA. We wish them all the best. And we wished for a uh, resolution to this strike that means them getting what they deserve. That means actors, writers, and everybody who's on strike getting the money and residuals and deal that they deserve. So... All the best. Stay strong, everybody in the WGA and SAG-AFTRA. Yeah, you hear that, Bob Iger? This is a this is an anti-Bob Iger podcast. <laughs> I'm saying it here first. You know, Will's too nice. He's not going to draw the line like I will. But we're coming for you, Bob Iger. No, I'm just joking. I will let you draw. Uh, well, the, I, I will I, let you I'm draw. I'm joking. Line. <laughs> I mean, I'm joking about the threat. That's allegedly, 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 allegedly. I'm not making any threats. But of course. I mean, in spirit. I'm I'm uh, preying on Bob Iger's downfall. Uh, we, you know, I as am I, but we, yeah, we we wish solidarity and all the best to everybody who's participating in these strikes or know somebody who's participating in these strikes. Uh, we certainly wouldn't be doing this podcast without people just like you. Without, that's wanted to make sure to get that out there, especially as we go into a big cinema weekend for a lot of people, or if you're listening to this on free feed, coming out of a big cinema weekend. <laughs> Paul Schrader said that Oppenheimer was the most important film of the century. <laughs> it, it's it's a bit of it's a bit of a Dave Meltzer take uh, of just like oh he just saw like a he just saw his first movie didn't he? I'm sure Oppenheimer's some level of good, but like that's nice, Mr. Schrader. Thanks for your input. Uh, speaking of thanks for input. We have an email here at the Elwood City Limits mailbag. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com is where you can send your input uh, for us to read on the air, or if you'd just like for us to read it off the air, you can always designate. We love to hear from you on anything Arthur or podcast related. This one is from Patrick J. McKenna, who is a fellow Atlantic Canadian slash Maritimer who is from our neighboring province. Uh, Patrick asks, have you ever been to the island here? So, Lucas, this is a someone from... Prince Edward Island, which I haven't been to, I haven't been to PEI in a good long time. I went last year. Uh, I'm trying to go again this year if I can. Um, I love it. I, I always say that um, for where we are in Canada, on the far east coast, you know, the uninitiated, uninitiated they think that eastern Canada is Montreal, but it keeps going, folks. Um, <laughs> but for the far east where we live, uh, I always say that the best kind of staycation, the best two-day vacation you can do in our region is the trip to PEI. Like, it, there's just so much you could pack into a weekend and just have a really, really excellent weekend. So, yeah, much love to the island. The sand there, Will, it's so fine, it squeaks. <laughs> squeaks, okay. When you're walking around, it goes... It's crazy. 
clearly I have to go back. Maybe that'll be the next kind of within uh, the Maritimes little staycation, as you said, that the wife and I take. Let's return to Patrick's email. First of all, I must say you guys do such an amazing job of the podcast. I also truly love how you bring in topics that are not only referenced on Arthur, but related to what's currently going on in the world, as we did today. Uh, it is such a pleasure to meet fellow Harry Potter as well as Kingdom Hearts fans. So, Lucas is the Kingdom Hearts fan. Patrick, I, I, I want to let you down easy here. I don't think, and, and I apologize if we misled you, I don't think either Lucas nor I are Harry Potter fans, necessarily. I've seen all the movies i've read all the books i know a lot about them uh my <laughs> and and you're a hufflepuff y- y- yes yes i am <laughs> look have we ever did we did we figure out what you are are you a I gryffindor don't, i don't want to get it i don't want to get into this right uh i don't know i'm probably a slytherin no uh, for, no uh but I, uh i don't think so I, I i'd rather leave it up to the imagination sure okay um, yeah keep them guessing but one thing I definitely am, Will, above all else, is indeed a Kingdom Hearts fan. Oh, yeah. The resident Kingdom Hearts fan here. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyways, uh, but yes, I have knowledge of it. I wouldn't say that I'm a fan, but no offense, Patrick. Just wanted to make sure to get that out there, especially considering how fraught being a Harry Potter fan can be these days. Anyway, in regards to the series overall, as someone who grew up and read and watched Arthur as well, I'm tremendously concerned about the ending of The Boy Who Cried Comet, which is season three, I want to say? Maybe four? Uh, Now, as you have said, you do not consider this episode to be canon, and I see where you're coming from in regards to it being an homage to the Twilight Zone. Uh, The Boy Who Cried Comet, by the way, that is the episode where Buster gets a telescope and sees a comet that he think is going he thinks is going to destroy the earth and the end of the episode uh in case this email doesn't get into it is where they do the they do the thing where it turns out that arthur is filmed on a film set by alien actors who are playing the characters right right, right. i forgot about that <laughs> Um, it's connection to the episode's intro among other things however you have also doubted that this could overall be the case as you stated that this could be the series finale, for all we know. I think we did say that. The Arthur wiki itself also states that there is an extremely slim possibility that the entire Arthur series is acted out by aliens, and there's also an online article and a YouTube video reading that article about the darkest Arthur theories. It also states this could indeed be true, as the more deeper you look into it, there's a lot of subtle evidence that this could indeed be the case. As with other things, the series has quite a focus and featuring of aliens, Also, as someone online wrote, this could explain the inconsistencies with the series as the aliens do not have a grip on human-slash-Earth society. As someone who has valued the franchise, I cannot in good conscience continue to indulge in it and accept this to be the case. So I was wondering if it wouldn't be too much to ask, it would be very much truly gratefully appreciated. If you would please be able to provide any and all kind of evidence that this ending is non-canon to the overall series. I truly wish you both all the best in this and any other future endeavors you have. I know that with the determination, heart, and enthusiasm you have this podcast, you will always truly succeed in anything that you set out to do. Thank you for your consideration. Uh, well, Patrick, the thing is, is that I'm I'm sorry that this um, this ending kind of seems to have given you a fair amount of consternation, let's say. But I guess here's I, I will say this: this is not going to be a very uh, this is going to be a bit of a disappointing answer. But I will also farm this outward so i will first just say that um it's as real as you want it to be and i know that again a lot of fans in a lot of different fandoms and i've been in this uh, position myself really want definitive answers and well i didn't work on the show i didn't create the show i didn't write the show so until i talk to somebody who does i won't have those answers and to be honest with you Personally, I particularly don't really care. I think it's a funny little ending. I definitely said the, you know, this could be the series finale for all we know. Definitely in a bit of jest. And my feeling is that the ending is meant to be taken very lightheartedly. There's a lot of, as you said, there's a lot of kind of alien content. There are many sort of um, magical realism slash non-canon endings that directly involve aliens existing. So Mm. you could certainly say that that is in, like, maybe just aliens do exist in Arthur. Maybe that is the answer. And, 
you could make a lot of inferences, and I think it's honestly more fun to have your own theory rather than want there to be a definitive answer. The definitive answer is that they're not aliens. That I don't believe. Well, I, well I, 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 definitive in quotation marks. But what I mean is that I don't. Be, I personally don't believe that the intention of the of Mark Brown or any of the <laughs> people working on the series is that they're secretly aliens. Because to be honest with you, if that were true, that would be kind of stupid. And I don't think that that's what they had in mind because it kind of undercuts the entire point of the show, which is that this is meant to evoke real life to a certain degree. Um, as far as hard evidence, I'm not the sort of person who kind of keeps track of that stuff. So for all of our Arthur experts in our audience, please feel free to send in your indisputable evidence that the ending to The Boy Who Cried Comet is non-canon. I'll, I'll take another look myself at that episode, and I'll see if anything stands out as like, oh, this is definitely not in proper canon. Although, as I remember... It's it, it's a little bit of a surprise ending, so I don't know if there's anything in that episode that would steer you away from none of it ever having happened. But we'll see. And and of course, it's I I just what I what I what I hope the most is that this didn't cause you any sort of legitimate bad feelings. We've spoken about this before. <laughs> we we've spoken about this before on the podcast. I have definitely. So I'll rein this in just by saying, if you. If it gets to the point where something like Arthur is, you know, causing you negative feelings, I think that maybe you're looking a bit too far into it. This may not be the case, Patrick, and I don't want to I, I want to thank you for sending in this email and I don't want to diminish what you may be feeling. But from the way that you wrote this email, it sounds like this might be affecting you in a way. And I just want to say that it's OK. And yeah, it's so it's OK. Uh allow me to retort maybe it is all aliens because think about it this way will sure we talk every week about the animal hierarchy it doesn't make any sense why are there some animals that are animals and there's some that wear clothes and drive cars and walk on two legs yeah perhaps they were never animals at all and they are some sort of alien chimera you know in the alex jones sense species okay and that explains it all and so it actually makes way more sense that it's all canon because uh, we were always saying, oh, you know, the animal hierarchy, it doesn't make any sense. Just don't think about it. Well, maybe it does make sense. Uh, and they're all like, I feel like this is the second week in a row we've mentioned this, the Island of Dr. Monroe style uh, animals, animal people yeah, from outer space. Perhaps anything's possible in the mind's eye. Of course. And what I would want to, <laughs> what, what I would want, what I would want to encourage is, as TV Tropes refers to it, wild mass guessing. Which is, have your theories, have your guesses, have them be as ridiculous as possible. The bottom line that I will say here is, Patrick, thank you for the email. I hope that our listeners can help you to understand whether or not this is canon or not. And I certainly hope that this episode didn't color your appreciation of the rest of the series. But thank you once again for the email. If you want to send one in, elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. Uh, thank you, Patrick. We also want to say thank you to those people who are over on patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits who are enjoying the latest episode of For the Kids, a PBS Kids podcast, which is one of our two sister podcasts to this show where we look at other PBS Kids children's shows. This time it was Jakers, The Adventures of Piggly Winks, uh, the most Irish PBS Kids show there ever was. We talk about the development of the show. We talk about an episode. It was a gr it was a grand old time. So check it out, and you can pay what you want at Patreon.com/slash/ElwoodCityLimits. We'll talk about what's coming up next on the Patreon at the end of this episode. But thank you to those patrons who so kindly donate to us, such as Emily K, Joe Sue, Riley Stevens, Macy Ball, Caitlin Harrington Robinson, Rachel Pearson, Peebs. Uh, Matt, Andrew Power, Marlo Stanfield. Thank you to Christine Lescody. Thank you to uh, Kirsten and Vinny Cataldo. And thank you as well to RPG Fiend and to Maria Gisselquist. 
couple things about the Patreon I will say really quick. Again, if you haven't heard your name on the sound off in a while, please let us know. And also, I will say that it's totally cool whenever you want to leave the Patreon. I would encourage if you are going to be doing that in the future, please leave us an exit survey in case there's something about the Patreon that is not to your liking. Or if you're on the Patreon right now and there's something that you either have a question about or something that isn't working properly for you, please send a message either through Patreon or through the Elwood City Limits Discord, which is another perk of going to patreon.com slash Limits. I just want to make sure everybody's having a great time with the hundreds of hours of podcasts we have on there and with all the other perks. So please let us know if something isn't to your liking and we'll do everything we can to make it right. We are closer to the end of season 17 than I realized, Lucas. And this is the ninth episode of the season. Last week, it was double George. This time, we're doubling up on Muffy. And we're starting with Caught in the Crosswires. Muffy's had a little bit of a turnaround in recent years. I think if you were to present us with a double Muffy episode, uh, even like five seasons ago, we might have been like, ugh, like really dreaded it. Oh, sorry. I had to sneeze there. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm still allergic to Muffy to an extent. No, I'm lying. <laughs> uh, you're right that Muffy, you know, longtime listeners will know there's certain characters we've had a little bit of a hate on. Uh, Brain, first and foremost, still hasn't quite gotten his redemption arc. Uh, But Muffy very much had, where Muffy was basically an antagonist for the first three seasons. And over the course of um, the show, she's been one of the characters, along with Binky being the uh, prototypical character that's an example of this, uh, has actually been given the capacity to grow and change as the show's gone on. Something very rare for a show like Arthur, because most of the characters, it's it's so uh, episodic that uh, it, it's um, uh, most of the characters are kind of unchanging and set in stone and forget forever eight years old and are kind of always their archetypes. But there's been a little bit of growth with old Muffy. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's a lot different than when we first started watching uh, what it would be like to be faced with a double dose of the Muffster. Well, and let's see how we feel about her coming out of this one. The first one, story here, Caught in the Crosswires. Arthur gives us a little bit of an introduction in the cold open, but he's not really in this one. And he says, just because some, someone says something is real doesn't mean that it is. And in this case, he's talking about a reality television show. A producer and his cameraman come up to the Crosswires mansion and offer them to be in a reality television show. And when I say the producer and his cameraman, I'm talking about the man they call Jimmy Johnny Johnson, a.k.a. J-Cube, and Phil, the cameraman. So one would think, and we're really, Jimmy Johnny Johnson, J-Cube himself, uh, is really the star of this episode. Yes. Uh, and I don't mean like it's an episode about him, but he is a character the likes of which we've never really seen before in Arthur, um, but definitely is a character that's ever-present in other types of media. He's kind of like this sleazy uh, reality show producer, the kind of guy that will say anything to get what he wants and is totally uh, bad faith, ingenuine um, sleazy showbiz guy barely looks like an Arthur character, by the way, because he's got blonde hair and a ball cap, so he doesn't have uh, animal ears sticking out. So really, the only thing that makes it look like he's in Arthur is his kind of animal nose. Right, he's got like a little yeah. cat nose. Mm-hmm. So he's such a big personality, this fast talking, uh, fast talking producer type, that you would think he would be throwaway character of the week. Will yes, I would but naturally he- assume so. But he is not Throwaway Character of the Week. <gasps> throwaway Character of the Week is Phil the Cameraman. <laughs> uh, what? Because, yeah, well, because uh, this bit in the cold open is one of the highlights of the episode. Uh, we have this long introduction for J-Cubed, and then he just goes, and here's Phil the Cameraman. And he's like, hey. Uh, and yeah, Phil the Cameraman, you know, he's like, he's, he, Phil the Cameraman, he's here to do a job, okay? He's got no time for all this show business stuff, he's there to get the footage, and that's it. So I, I have much respect for Phil the cameraman. Well, an interesting timing as well for a producer to approach a random rich family with a reality TV show. Perhaps the Elwood City, perhaps Elwood City, and the Arthur Universe are going through their own 
SAG after a WGA strike. Mm, so they need mm, more mm. reality con- unscripted content, uh, such as it is. So yes, as Lucas described him, Jimmy Johnny Johnson, J Cube is a blonde-haired, stereotypical producer type guy. For some reason, I kept getting a Tarantino vibe from him. He's not. He's not. He doesn't look like Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino, the director, but he does kind of the his speech pattern reminds me a little bit of it. He's very smarmy and a little slimy, and I guess I got Tarantino vibes off of that. <laughs> Uh, fast talking for sure. Like he, he feels like a character out of Entourage or something. Not yes. Arthur. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of Bailey lines here when uh, J Cube offers the reality show and Mr. Crosswire is very confused. And Bailey says, I believe we're being punked, sir. Which did I, I does. Does Ashton Kutcher and the television show punked exist in Arthur? I think that's unequivocal proof. I suppose, like, I don't know how else that would enter the vernacular because punked, P-U-N-K apostrophe D, was part of the lexicon there for a little bit. Uh, we also get a mention here, J-Cube is behind such rea- hit reality shows as Ice Road Trucking with the Stars, which I actually would kind of like to see. I'm, yeah, I would love to see that. I've never seen Ice Road Trucking itself, the television show. Ice Road Truckers, yeah. Ice Road Truckers. I, 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 I would definitely watch it if, yeah, like, Z-listers, like, if The Miz <laughs> and, uh, like, one of the Baldwins that's not Alec Baldwin. Ian Zeering. Uh, yeah, I don't even know, I don't even know who that is. Uh, and, like, the ShamWow guy, and I'm just trying to think of, like, Z-listers. Um... And the kid from Moonrise Kingdom who's on Twitter all the time. <laughs> if, if those, if, if, if it was Ice Road Trucking, but with that, that cast, oh my goodness, that's appointment TV right there. So J-Cube offers this. Muffy is beside herself. She's really excited about this. And that eventually twists Ed's arm to do it. And Bailey gives an unenthusiastic huzzah. So Muffy and her family are going to be filmed for four weeks for a show that will be called Caught in the Crosswires. I've noticed this here. Muffy does a to-camera testimonial in the closet. We get another mention of Muffy's brother, Chip, who we have seen before. She explains that he's not here because he's away for school. I find it a little weird that we've seen Chip, I want to say twice at this point, but it seems a little odd to me that we introduced this character to just have to explain why he's not there all the time. Like, it seems that we're constantly, it's it's like Chip is a real-life actor of, like, oh, yeah, we couldn't get him, so uh, uh, he's away at school, or he's uh, on, a, on a skiing trip or something. It just feels like he's not there a lot, and, well, we didn't know he was there for the first 12 years of the show, so I don't know why we felt the need to introduce him at this late stage in the game. Yeah, kind of weird. Um... I also want to mention that uh, this confessional booth, or a closet, yes, uh, is referred to as the private moment area. Okay. And Muffy has to visit it three times a day. So it, it becomes quickly apparent that this episode is kind of a satire on, you know, vapid reality television or being about kind of how reality television is, is fake, right? Yes, far more scripted and... Uh, less natural than it would have you believe. But kind of weird, because I was looking this up, and I was like, when did season 17 air? And it's 2013. Um, Not necessarily the most, like, ripped-from-the-headline subject matter. You know, reality TV is fake and a little bit vapid. Um, I feel like, you know, reality TV... Survivor was, like, 2000. Um, And I don't... The the Kardashians was not long afterwards, and, you know, The Hills. Uh, It's interesting that it took Arthur this long to kind of tackle this topic. I think it's also talked about reality TV in other forms, in other episodes. True, uh, true. And yeah, it's it's interesting that now it's very much zooming in on like reality, reality TV is not real. And it, it's, it almost feels a little rote for like a television show to be like, Hey, Reality TV isn't real. I'm like, yeah, I know. Now, this is for a younger audience who maybe haven't engaged with reality television as much. 
But uh, yeah, it, it, it you're right. It is an, feels like an, a bit of an odd time to do it. Um, Francine offers to take Muffy to see Galaxy Kittens in 3D, but Muffy is practically run off her feet from all the stuff she has to do. Like you said, three to camera interviews a day. They have to film dinner at three o'clock so they can get the right light. When they're at dinner, J-Cube encourages Muffy to be meaner to Bailey, essentially, because uh, when Ed and... Oh, what's the mother's name? Miffy? No, that's me going crazy here. They actually call her Mrs. Crosswire a lot. It's very patriarchal in the Crosswire household. Mr. and Mrs. Crosswire are constantly playing to camera and trying to advertise for Crosswire Motors. So they constantly go away from them, and they're trying to make Muffy a bit more interesting by having her berate and humiliate Bailey. Uh, When J-Cube gets... J-Cube throughout the episode has takes on his catchphrase, which is pow, genius! And usually I was doing the finger guns point as well. Um, so this leads to a montage where Muffy starts to be a little bit more rude to Bailey, even though she's initially like, I don't see the need to do that. I don't want to be rude to him, but it'll make for better TV. During this, at the start of this montage, I noticed that Melissa Melissa Altro's voice, obviously, when she started as Muffy in the first season, she was quite a bit younger. And now that she's older, it probably is a little bit more of a strain on her voice to put Muffy into the higher register that she's in. Did you? I don't know if you noticed this. When she calls for Bailey to get into her room because something's wrong, her voice like hits the roof. It's the highest of Muffy's voice I've ever heard. No, I didn't notice this. And yeah, Muffy is one of those characters where the voice actress has not changed over the years, correct? That's right. It's been the the same the whole way through. So it's this montage of Muffy doing all of these very rude things to Bailey and him just kind of taking it on the chin. We also see that Bailey gets a two-camera interview where they essentially feed him lines that he is embarrassed, even though he is not. He's keeping a stiff upper lip. He's not affected by it. They have him hold an onion so that he will cry. Uh, and when Muffy talks about this, Buster, who is the reality show fan of everybody, the biggest fan, uh, illustrates that Muffy is the villain on the show and that every good reality show needs a villain. In fact, for Buster, for, yeah, no, it, it is true. And for Buster, it was Jeff on top supermarket clerk, which we have talked about in a previous episode. That was the, one of the big reality show um, skewering episodes that Arthur has done. I don't remember. No, I remember that. I remember. I, I remember. You know, Buster being entranced by Top Supermarket Clerk and how everyone was like, "I hate Jeff." Um, what's interesting about this whole thing is that you know this whole sequence is predictable but entertaining, right? They're they're obviously trying to manufacture a false narrative by getting Muffy to act extra mean. They try to lead Bailey on. Like, they literally use the power of editing when Bailey refuses to criticize Muffy in the one-on-one interviews. They, like, trick Bailey by making him read a, uh, uh, like, hey, Bailey, how's your your uh, eyesight? They make him read something so they can edit it together in post to make it seem like he's talking badly about Muffy. Uh, it's plain to see. But what's funny about all this to me is that, you know, Buffy actually kind of is pretty insufferable. And if you had just, like, let the cameras roll, you wouldn't have to, like, make her freak out all the time because she is, like, doing stuff where she's barking orders at Bailey. How many times have we heard Bailey say, yes, Miss Muffy? And, like... Right. We're like, wow, it really is hard for Bailey with all the stuff he has to deal with and all the stuff that Muffy always complains about with. Am I crazy or, you know, they wouldn't even have to, like, exaggerate it that much. They're just too impatient. Yeah, I think that eventually Muffy's... Part of Muffy's inner nature would 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 come out, and it's not that she is necessarily rude; it's that she's demanding. So, and Bailey is very dutiful, so she has she wouldn't expect for him not to do everything that she says. So, yeah, eventually you would find something about Muffy that you would dislike, I think. But they're very impatient, I think, is the idea. Um, Muffy doesn't like that she is essentially being goaded into being this way to Bailey, so she slips away from the cameras and privately apologizes to him and decides that they're just going to act normally, which isn't exciting enough for the show. So J-Cube 
uh, puts out a banana peel for Bailey to slip on, and then he spills juice on Muffy, which they think will be this big reaction. Uh, in fact, like he keeps. There's a couple of instances where J Cube like will go to Muffy and be like, "Can you believe that he did that? You know, he spilled juice all over your designer clothes." To which Muffy says that she actually got those clothes in a sale. Crosswires never pay retail. That this seems totally out of character. Yeah, a little bit. Like that, I, I, I was having like, a hard time kind of, um, just making this make sense. Yeah, it's dissonant. Like Muffy's Muffy isn't frugal. That's like her whole thing. Is that she shops till she drops? Exactly. Crosswires never play retail. What's up with that? She, I yeah. yeah. This I I feel like they. To, to make this episode work in service of this whole bit, which is, like, trying to make Muffy come off worse than she does, they actually, like, change Muffy's inherent character. And it's funny because if Muffy was as she is in other episodes, they wouldn't have to change anything or manufacture anything. She is someone who buys exorbitantly expensive things, and she does kind of bark Bailey around about kind of really menial tasks, and she is kind of disconnected because she's so rich she doesn't really understand how the real world works. Like, these are things that we know about Buffy and that have been consistent. So in order to get this kind of story about how uh, reality shows are manufactured and not necessarily uh, representative of the real world, they're kind of forcing a square peg into a round hole here. I agree. That's a really good way to look at it. I It wasn't even something until you said it there. It is like... Yeah, this doesn't really feel like Muffy. I think it's nice that they're showing that she does care about Bailey, and we have seen that before from her, but it kind of comes and goes depending on what the show wants her to be. And in this case, they want to show her as being a bit nicer, which goes against the times when she's not as nice, as as you said. We also get a reveal here. Um, the uh, J-Cube says that, like, oh, the butler who has served this family for 50 years, to which Bailey says... I'm 37. Would you have ever guessed that's his age? I feel like buff- butlers always have like a plus 20 on whatever you think their age are. Like just being a butler, it doesn't matter how young you are, you have a Michael Caine essence about you. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, but it's hard to tell when the people are animals, right? Like how mm-hmm. old do you think Mr. Rappern is? I would say Mr. Rappert's probably in his late 30s. Like he strikes yeah. me as like a younger style teacher, like a 37-year-old. I might um. It's hard to say. Like, I feel... I, I I think you're probably right. The earlier episodes where his voice is a little deeper, I might go so far as, like, early 40s. But, yeah, maybe around that Maybe around that way. I guess it's... We're at that age, Will, where elementary school teachers are often younger than us. Well, <laughs> and as I've been saying, when we watch The Word From Us Kids, it's like, oh, these teachers are getting younger. They're, like, closer to my age or younger than me. Yeah. Uh-oh. Um, so yeah, Bailey is 37 years old. Finally, Muffy just gets completely fed up and tells off J-Cube and gets him and his cameraman to leave because she doesn't want to act this way towards Bailey. Uh, J-Cube says that he also produced a reality show called There's a Bear in My House, which sounds like an I think you should leave sketch. Or or, Or potentially Eric Andre. I could see either of them doing that. We also get Bailey jump dumping... Uh, juice on the J-Cube as he leaves. So they weren't able to create a full series for the time that they were there. They produced one 30-minute special that is apparently going to air several nights in a week, and it is called uh, Caught in the Crosswires, and it shows all of these little clips of Muffy being terrible. We even get a brief cutaway in the show of Muffy as Godzilla, or like a giant liz- fire-breathing lizard that is destroying a city to show that she's like this destructive, horrible creature. It ends with Muffy's watching this with Arthur, Francine, and Buster. Uh, Arthur and Francine say that's like, well, that's obviously not like you. I'm going to tell all of my you know, friends and family not to watch this show. And Buster says that he loved it because he is such a junkie for reality TV, even if it's clearly not real. And now a word from us kids. Not much to say about this one as we go from <laughs> from Bailey and Muffy having to uh, uh, having not real conflict. The types of conflicts that second graders face, which basically amounts to I accidentally got pushed over or I want to play with the soccer ball and then how to 
mediate those conflicts. Here's my insightful commentary yeah. about this A Word From Us Kids segment, because, uh, you know, after last week, it's true, we're running out of things to say about these where they're just kind of lessons, uh, life lessons for children on kind of mindfulness or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, my, this is my bit I've been workshopping uh, uh, for this one, okay? Uh, if, if this came out today, they would be doing conflict mediation training about stuff like Fortnite or Skibbity Toilets. <laughs> Pretty good, huh? I got to workshop it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, there's there's something there. There's something there. But uh, I, they'd be like, I, I, I want to take the iPad to watch Skibbity Toilets one through forty eight, and the other kid would be like, No, I want to do that. And then they'd be like, Why don't we watch it together? It's second grade, so it'd probably be either Bluey or Coco Melon. Moving on. Modern ref- <laughs> modern references. Supporting this podcast is how it keeps going, and it's very easy to do. So here's how you can do that. If you're listening to this show and want to get the full back catalog of Elwood City Limits and all of its sister shows and offshoots, you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and even more services. You can also go to our YouTube page, youtube.com slash Elwood City Limits, for the full back catalog. If we aren't on a service you use, please let us know. You can interact with us on social media. We're on Twitter, at ECL Podcast. Instagram, at Elwood City Limits and twitch.tv slash Elwood City Limits pod for our occasional streams. We're also on Facebook and Tumblr. Feel free to reach out to us on social media or you can email us and your email might be right on the show. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. Finally, for exclusive content, including entire side series like For the Kids, a PBS Kids podcast and ECL Origins, subscribe to us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash ElwoodCityLimits. That's all for now. Thanks a lot for listening. And now back to the show. We talked last episode about the lack, the relative lack of Arthur episode titles that have the exclamation mark at the end of them. This one is called Framed. Yeah, it's no Arthur dies, but uh, <laughs> it, it, it's it's vague enough that, uh, I mean, both of these actually, Caught in the Crosswires and Framed, no idea what either of these episodes were about besides Muffy. Um, and once again, this is yet another Muffy episode. Well, it is a Muffy episode, and it also kind of isn't. I, I thought this would be more about Muffy than, she, like, she's a primary character in it, but, you know, she's the subject of the first one. This one, she's more of, more into the antagonist role. But the cold open is Muffy. She's talking about how members of high society have certain responsibilities. In this case, it could be knowing which fork to use at which um, segment of dinner, making sure you have the right outfit for any occasion, and finally, to be immortalized on canvas by an important artist. When, when she talks about having the right outfit, she's uh, Ed is bringing her to the opening of a Crosswire Motors, and she has this cool dress that's like partially made out of like car tires. I don't know. I thought this looked kind of cool. Uh, yes, very avant-garde, very like Rick Owens, Junior Watanabe. Another thing about this is it kind of opens with we get this uh, bit of Arthur and uh, DW fighting over the TV. Classic tale as old as time. Uh, Arthur points out that uh, DW has seen this episode of Mary Moo Cow before. DW says, Mary Moo Cow gets better with age, which I thought was funny. Right. So that's when we get into the episode proper. I just also want to note here when Muffy's going through, like all of her family members, her mom, her dad, and Chip have these. Uh, commissioned artist portraits. Ed's portrait is him in the classic pose from the Napoleon painting. He's on horseback and kind of pointing ahead of him, but they're all like in these uh, Renaissance, not Renaissance, but like classic painting poses, but also with like luxury cars. And the idea is that Muffy needs to have one of her own. Now, yes, as you say, DW and Arthur fighting over the remote. They're not really in this episode too much either, and I did I did like that Mary Mukow line that you said, and they accidentally stumble upon a news report which says that Buster has won the Best Young Artist Award at the Elwood City Arts Festival, to which DW says, I've seen his drawings. His cows are lumpy, and so she doesn't believe that he could win anything artistic, but when asked about how it makes him feel that he won this competition, Buster says, good. And I think you like and I typical have... typical eccentric artist. This is like like Frank Zappa in interviews or like um, Lou Reed in interviews. Like, I like Buster being a man of few words for once. 
Well, and I think you and I have both probably had difficult interviews where it's just like, hey, can you talk about this a little? One word answer. Okay. And just, all right. It, it takes all kinds. Uh, yeah, so Buster did win this competition. His horoscope told him that he would discover a hidden talent. So he decided to take up, uh, in this case, like painting. And it turns out he's actually good at it. His art, as we see throughout the episode, depicts aliens, of course. He's making paintings of all kinds of aliens. In fact, he says, I'm in my extraterrestrial period. Uh, so all this stuff with Buster being kind of like an avant-garde artist is really cool. And it is interesting to see, like, his inspiration is that, yeah, everything has to be an alien. It all makes sense. Um, the one thing I will say, and this is my, this might be actually a little bit too cruel of me, a little bit too mean, uh, but... Buster's art kind of looks like NFT art. It kind of looks like he was, mm. like if, if Buster had started dope aliens as opposed to dope apes, well, uh, he could have mm. uh, made some bank a year and a half ago, let's say, well, in the old NFT market. Well, and we've talked before about how susceptible Buster is to like weird conspiracy type stuff. And you say that out loud. We've also we've also talked about how like Buster would be up on like the worst trends if he were our age. And it's mm, like true. Buster, unfortunately, I feel is well. I think it's either Buster or Brain would be way into the blockchain. And Buster, Buster, I think would be into it and not understand how it works. Brain would be into it and understand how it works, which are two kind of problematic ways of approaching NFTs, crypto, all that all that garbage. So it's funny you say that because, um, yeah, actually, I could totally see these as NFT art. And thankfully, like, hey, nobody get that idea. Nobody start making Buster's art as NFTs, please. Like, it's it's a miracle. I don't think I don't think I don't think they made Arthur NFTs. I want to say no, but I think PBS might have done some. So we got close. I don't remember there being Arthur NFTs anyway. Uh, so Buster gets commissioned by Ed Crosswire during this this show that they have for his art uh, to paint a portrait of Muffy so that she can finally have her own. A line I liked here from Ed who said, personally, I prefer normal art. Yes, that's the line of the episode. Which, which is very much like there is a lot in here about what art is supposed to look like. It's a bit of a heady conversation to have in your kid's show. But Arthur has dealt with that idea of like, Art's not having to look like one, just one thing. That's kind of the crux of the episode, though, is that um, the whole episode is that Buster keeps making these portraits of Muffy, um, and she doesn't like the way they look um, because he's not a literal artist, right? He's not yeah. a portrait artist. He's drawing the essence of Muffy as an alien. Well, he does this multiple times, much to Muffy's chagrin, well, yeah, and, and no one really understands it. Well, and we get into that in a little bit, because at first it is just like, well, Buster's just drawing, just painting aliens, and it's just like, whatever. So Buster is commissioned to paint a portrait of Muffy. He's doing one where she's, like, standing on one leg with a blue dress and, like, a crown and a scepter, and you know, the, the joke is that she has trouble keeping that position. She's like, how long do I need to stay here? And Buster says, eight hours. So they just take a picture of her. Buster paints Muffy as what he calls a North troll, which I did take a picture of this. Let me see if I can describe this. It's a lot of these obviously are just Buster being like, oh, you're, you're this. And it's just something he invented. So a North troll is essentially the same pose that Muffy was doing, but she has like a, um, a snout and she's like this very drippy blob, purple blob creature. And I believe when asked if the snout is its mouth or its ear, Buster says yes, as in it's both. And Muffy does not like this at all. She says, I look like a tuna melt. So Buster, and I will say also, Buster got commissioned for snacks. This is uh, this is true patronage where Buster is... Uh, get it is creating art for food, just like our ancestors used to do it. But Buster gets recommissioned. He has a lot of trouble uh, creating something that is more traditional. He keeps coming up with a lot of these alien type designs as he um, tries to make a Muffy portrait. There's a like there's a montage where Muffy is essentially saying no to each one. There's a great visual gag where 
Buster shows her a drawing on paper, and we don't see the drawing. Muffy just wordlessly takes scissors and cuts it in half and goes back to the bed. Of just being like, no, try again. It's when Buster is talking with Francine and Arthur about this that he creates alien portraits for the both of them. He draws them out on like a notepad paper. And he explains how these portraits do actually have meaning for him. Each alien design, as you said, Lucas, says something about the subject as a person. So whether like the color says something, the design says something, like the one he creates about Arthur is like an alien that is transparent, has a big heart, wears glasses, and has two left feet. Because those are like physical characteristics, they're also emotional characteristics. So they mean a lot to Buster. They're just not completely obvious if you're looking at them right away. Which is a cool way to, I think, explain how artistic intent can work. Yeah, it's the crux of the episode is that art is not literal, it has meaning, and to go a step further, um, it is about both the author's intent, but also what you as the viewer bring to it, right? So that's really important. You know, at the very end of the episode, we get a part where um, Mr. Rappern interprets interprets Buster's painting, uh, and he like lists all these things about it, and art is just about as much as what the viewer brings to the table and meets the author uh, halfway. So pretty nuanced concepts for this Arthur episode and not necessarily something we haven't tread before on Arthur, uh, but not necessarily in this way. And so I, I thought it was a really interesting moral for an episode. So Muffy is still not pleased. Buster, the one that he ultimately creates is one where Muffy is a green car, essentially. And the car is green because it's the color of money, but it also means, like, the the car means that she's, like, going places. It's a neat little painting, but Muffy doesn't like it. She asks for complete ground-up revisions to be done by Monday, which feels true to experiences I've heard from artists who do commissions of, like, just... You, somebody commissions a piece of art, they get in, they're just like, uh, change everything, and I won't pay you more. <laughs> so Buster is very frustrated by this. That night he has a dream where in the dream he imagines he enters a room where he is sitting with stylized versions of famous artists who express to him that they were also frustrated with commissions they had to do. And and they essentially encourage him to embrace his vision. Now, these three artists, this, this whole segment felt like a throwback to something that Arthur would have done in its earlier years. And I really want to commend them for this scene. So Buster talks with Vincent van Gogh, uh, Henri de Toulouse-Lautrec, who is a friend, was a French artist and was also a friend of van Gogh. And then the third person is not actually an artist. It's a painting. It's the painting Vertumnus by the Italian painter Giuseppe Archimboldo, which is a portrait based on Rudolf II, Holy Roman Emperor. The portrait itself is like a man made out of different types of vegetables and florals. In this dream, everybody except for Buster are rendered in this kind of cutout style where it looks like they took the common portraits of these artists and then made them in the Arthur style, but then also had them talk like they are paper cutouts. So they're human likenesses combined with the Arthur sensibilities. And in this room that they're in are a bunch of these artist paintings and a lot of other famous paintings. So I looked up the full list on the Arthur Wiki paintings in the scene, there's like Girl with a Pearl Earring, Mona Lisa, The Birth of Venus, The Last Supper, and there's other works by artists like Raphael, Van Gogh, Da Vinci, Michelangelo, but they're all made with like Arthur ears, kind of like when there's a celebrity yeah. and they just give them like the the quote unquote typical Arthur presentation. Like, I thought this was so cool, like such a cool sequence. Yeah, I think that um, ever since we've switched to the Flash era, one of the fun things about Arthur Dream sequences was that the art style would radically change in some cases. And things haven't necessarily been that way since we've switched to Flash, just because it's harder to do in Flash, because Flash is based off kind of almost digital puppeteering where you have a set model and you move it around. So you have to make whole new models to... Uh, do some of those more uh, big shifts in art style sequences. Uh, but this is totally different. This looks unlike anything we've seen in Arthur thus far. Uh, it's probably the most unique looking dream sequence since we'd switched to Flash. I thought it was reminiscent of um, Terry Gilliam's cartoons 
uh, both in and out of the Monty Python movies. If, you, yeah. if you've ever seen those as a reference point, like it looks similar, it animates similar to how those work. Um, so it could even be mistaken for not being Flash. That's kind of how unique this looks. Um, and yeah, really worked for me as well. And it has uh, Van Gogh and Toulouse Lautrec uh, are the ones who speak. The Vertumnus painting doesn't speak, but they, as I said, they talk about how. Uh, when they made portraits of people, it didn't come out exactly like they wanted and that Buster should embrace his vision. So Buster has this dream and it emboldens him to stand by his vision to Muffy. When So when he comes to school on Monday, he presents her with the same portrait of her as a car and he imagines a little Toulouse Trek on his shoulder as he's doing this. Um, he's He also references in true Buster fashion, he says like, uh, I'm sticking by my vision. Toulouse Lautrec told me in a dream, and Muffy says, "You can tell whoever that is that, you know, it like to take the painting back or whatever." And Buster says, "I can't tell him because he's dead." This is also where we find out that Muffy hasn't actually paid Buster yet for the commission. So I assume that when he said, "You know, I'll work for snacks," that they would give him the snacks as he worked, but he's gonna get it all in bulk when he's done. I don't know. That's bad negotiating. I know. Like, can I have half the snacks up front and mm-hmm. then the rest at the end? Mm-hmm. But Totally. He needs Plus- that fuel to continue to paint. This is where Muffy also says that, you know, she is she has planned a whole unveiling event that is going to have cake and ice cream, which Buster is much more interested in. And the Toulouse track appears on his shoulder and says, you would trade your artistic soul for cake and ice cream? And Buster says, well, it depends on the cake which I completely <laughs> understand. At this point, Mr. Ratburn sees Buster's, you know, full canvas print, and he understands Buster's vision a little more. He's the one who says, like, oh, she's a car, which means that she has a great deal of ambition and she's going to be going places in the future. And this interpretation helps change Muffy's mind so that she actually accepts the commission that Buster has made and unveils it at the unveiling, to which, when Arthur asks Buster how it feels, he says, good. All's good that ends good. Lucas, this was a double double shot of Muffy, sort of. Um, caught in the crosswires, talking about reality TV, what did you think of that one? So I actually, I feel like when we were talking over the episode, I sounded pretty critical of it. You know, with all the criticisms of Muffy doesn't really feel like herself. It's kind of a stilted plot given that they didn't really need to manufacture any sort of bad portrayal of Muffy because she kind of is that way anyway, if you've seen the rest of the show. But with all that out of the way, it's actually a pretty entertaining episode, Uh, mostly because, in my opinion, um, J-Cubed kind of adds an element we have yet to see in Arthur. The smarmy, fast-talking producer uh, is not a character that we've had before in these past 17 seasons. And I hope he returns i hope he's not a throwaway character of the week because he definitely added a different element and was a good antagonist to keep the episode going it's also pretty funny as well there's lots of good lines um you know especially when they're they're trying to compel muffy and uh, bailey to say things they wouldn't normally say um <laughs> when they're like uh, uh what do they call uh, they're like, how does it feel to be abused by a spoiled eight-year-old tyrant in particular is a funny line. Yes. Um, yeah. What did you think, Will? I'm a bit cooler on it than you are, um, especially your discussion about how it's not really true to Muffy's character or like they kind of have to mortgage parts of it to make it work or, or bend her in bend her character in situations that it kind of doesn't make sense to. I'm a little bit like, mild on it like it's it's fun enough I, I i don't think it's there's really anything all that wrong with it um i especially have to give them kudos for making a character like j cube who is truly truly obnoxious and very much somebody that basically has no redeeming qualities so good on them for being able to do that um but yeah i just kind of didn't really this didn't really move me very much and it did feel weird especially talking back about it of like muffy having to be in these sorts of positions where She's yeah, and, and and as you said a couple of times, if they just kept the cameras rolling a little bit longer, she they would have gotten what they wanted from her. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't feel as strongly about it, especially when it's right next to one I do feel strongly about, which is Framed. I really liked Framed. 
Um, I think that it's a really great concept. Um, it's you know it's it's sneakily a Buster episode. Um, first of all, I always like when we give characters new and different depths, such as when we made George very good at baseball commentary. Now it's like. Buster has a thing where he's a very good artist to some degree. And not just a very good artist, but he's able to express intention through painting that he's maybe not able to through other means. And I think that that's really true of a lot of people with kind of Buster's uh, mental makeup, as we've talked about for these many years. Um, And I thought that there were some really, like, I liked all of the alien art that they had to make for this and it all feels different and it all and has buster has attention to buster's intention and of course the best part of the episode is that dream sequence which i think as i said before reminds me of older arthur in the best way it's this off the wall idea because you wouldn't necessarily pick you might pick van gogh but not like toulouse lautrec who's ever heard of him well, I have now that I've watched this and I felt like I learned something. And I thought that this is a cool message to send to kids. Whereas Caught in the Crosswires is like, well, yeah, reality TV bad is how I feel you can uh, sum that up a little bit. But this one is more like there is more to art than just what you see. There is also having to deal with what the artist wanted you to see. And it's a, as I said, it's a big concept for kids but it is some it is great to try and tackle that at an early age. So I thought that this was a really and there was also good lines. I thought that they seem to have the most fun with Buster's expressions. He seems to be the most expressive character in the new art style. A, a lot uh, and I will say like a lot of the screen captures that I do are of Buster's reactions. So they they seem to have a lot of fun uh giving him the best facial expressions. I just thought this was really good. One of the best of this season. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I really enjoyed Framed. I would almost go as far as to say I loved Framed. I think great use of both Buster and Muffy uh, felt very true to both characters, kind of unlike Caught in the Crosswires. And yeah, just a ton of creativity throughout this episode. Uh, Buster's paintings... Um, the comedic reactions of people not understanding them, uh, and that just excellent dream sequence at the end to like top off the episode. One of the most memorable sequences we've seen in all of season 17 definitely propels this episode to the next level. And I agree that it's those classic nuanced Arthur morals that uh, other kid shows just aren't smart enough to tackle, such as art is subjective and non-literal, um, and it's about interpretation and vibes rather than what's just on the paper. Thanks. So I agree. Great stuff. And really just entertaining episode as well. You know, all that highfalutin, like, oh, is the plot good? Is the moral good? It doesn't work if the episode's not funny and entertaining. And it's it's pretty funny and entertaining as well. Absolutely agree. Great. And it's getting to be the time where we are going to have to determine how we feel about this season and the best episodes from it. And I think that framed for both of us, is probably going to be on our top five, but we're not quite there yet. We almost are, though. Season 17 will come to a close with the next episode of Elwood City Limits that's coming your way. And then we'll get to be ta- we'll get to talking about the season as a whole before we move into season 18 as we rumble along. And also, if you're on Patreon, not only are you getting this episode a week early, but the next Patreon episode is going to be part of our second sister podcast, which is called ECL Origins. We're going to be fudging the schedule a little bit. Normally we do For the Kids, then ECL Origins, then go back to For the Kids, and so on every month. This time we're going to be doing back-to-back ECL Origins because we're going to be doing a two-parter about two shows that meant a lot to us as Canadian kids growing up in the 90s and 2000s. We're going to be talking about two shows from the production house mainframe. We're going to be talking about Reboot, and then we're going to be talking about Beast Wars in two separate episodes of ECL Origins for the mainframe two-parter. Very much looking forward to that. That's going to be happening in August into September over on patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits if you would like to join us over there. Elwood City Limits is going to be wrapping up season 17 of Arthur next time. We're going to be talking about Binky's Music Madness and Brain Freeze. 
And uh, I, I have it on good authority that Binky's Music Madness is one to look out for in this season, perhaps for multiple reasons. So, Lucas, let's get ready to send off Season 17 when we get together next time. And in the meantime, I'm also, I, I gotta say, I know that we talk about the weather a lot here, but I'm I'm jealous of you going to see Barbenheimer because you're gonna get, what, five and a half hours of primo air conditioning in that movie theater. <laughs> One can only hope, Will. One can only hope. I've, I've heard that, you know, AMC is turning off the air conditioning for what is that? What is the QAnon movie called? Oh, uh, freedom, Sound freedom, of freedom, cry, yeah, Sound yeah, of freedom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe, hopefully, that doesn't spread to Barbieheimer to you know suppress the truth or whatever. But yes, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to Barbieheimer big weekend. And I hope you enjoy it. And if you're going to that at any t- at any point, hope you enjoy it as well. That's it for Elwood City Limits. Thanks a lot for joining us for this episode, and we'll see you on the next one. My name's Will Young, and for Lucas Mancini. I got to go with, there's no better one than, uh, personally, I prefer normal art. We'll see you next time.